This short letter of Philemon, which we've been looking at over the Sunday evenings in July, has given us an opportunity to gain some insights into the world of Paul and Timothy and the early church and some of the people that they lived with and worked with. Uh, One of the first things we noticed as we looked at this letter was the overlap between those referred to in Philemon and the letter to the Colossians, which is very interesting. There seems to be a very close link here, and I think it's right and appropriate to place Philemon somewhere within that network of churches in Colossae, Laodicea, or Hierapolis, and uh, involved in the churches there, Um, whether it's Archippus, a fellow soldier um, who's referred to in Colossians, whether it's Epaphras, a fellow prisoner who comes from Colossae, who's with Paul uh, in Roman, he writes to the Colossians, who's also mentioned here as a friend of Philemon's. Uh, whether it's Aristarchus, another fellow prisoner. There's a whole range of people who overlap and interlink. And we get a sense of the way in which the church communities partnered with Paul and in fellowship with Paul in the work that he did in the gospel, whether he was actually with them or whether he was in other parts of the world. And then we got a chance to look at some of the issues of relationships in the first century world and the challenge to Philemon and to the church of reconfiguring those relationships on the basis of the work of God's grace rather than social convention. One of the comments that we looked at that certainly had caught my attention was that reference in in verse 16 where Paul refers to Philemon, to Onesimus, sorry, no longer as a slave but better than a slave, as a dear brother, dear to me but dearer to you, both as a man and a brother in the Lord. And we thought a bit about that last week. Two phrases I'd like to look at this evening as we bring this short series to a close which may give us a bit more insight into how Paul understands how the gospel works and changes things, are found in verses 17 and 18. And the two phrases I'd like to think about for a few minutes are these. In verse 17, Paul uses the phrase, So if you consider me a partner. And in verse 18, he uses the phrase, Charge it to me. I'd like to look at both of those. First of all, that phrase, so if you consider me a partner, in verse 17. It's an interesting phrase. In some ways, I think Paul could, if he wanted to put more pressure on Philemon to accept Onesimus back, uh, he could have said something along the lines of, as I consider you a partner in the work of the gospel, I expect you to accept Onesimus back. He could have rephrased everything in a way that loaded an obligation, even more obligation on Philemon, to accept Onesimus who seems to have been a runaway, for some reason or other, um, servant or slave of Philemon, who's become a Christian. More responsibility on him, more obligation on him to accept him back as someone who has the privilege of being a partner with the Apostle Paul. But that's not really what he's trying to say. It's interesting that he uses this phrase, if you consider me a partner, and the term that Paul uses for partner is the same term that he used when he was talking about fellowship back in verse 6, if you remember that. If you look at that, you'll find in verse 6 that the Apostle Paul talks about um, praying that, he may be active in sh- that Philemon may be active in sharing his faith so that he will have a full understanding of every good thing we have in Christ. And the evening we looked at that, we realized that this isn't about sharing your faith in the contemporary evangelical sense that we use as Christians. It's not about um, preaching the gospel. It's about fellowship in the faith, which is really the context of what is being used here. And Paul is praying that just as he has faith in Christ and love for his fellow Christians, so the fellowship that he has in the faith might deepen his understanding. 
And Paul's using the same kind of concept here in verse uh, 17, or verse 18. Sorry, verse 17. If you consider me a partner. If you consider me part of that fellowship that you enjoy, that fellowship to which you are committed, then do the following. Welcome Onesimus as you would welcome me. Undoubtedly, Philemon was in the habit of making some fuss over Paul's arrival. You get a sense of that when Paul says later on in the letter, in verse 22, prepare a guest room for me because I hope to be restored to you in answer to your prayers. And what Paul seems to be saying is, do the same with Onesimus. If you consider me a partner, if you consider me as one with whom you have fellowship, then start to think about Onesimus in the same terms. If you're up to preparing a room for me and making a fuss for me coming, think about doing the same thing for Onesimus. It's got shades of the story of the prodigal son all over it. The whole idea of that gracious, generous welcome which the father extends. And clearly the story of the prodigal son is not the same thing as Philemon's, but there's an application to be made here. That because of this fellowship that exists with Paul and with his fellow believers, and now with Onesimus through his faith in Jesus Christ, there is the call for a generous welcome and a generous reception of Onesimus. Fellowship among Christians isn't always mutual and it isn't always generous. Um, Paul's comments to the church in Corinth about their behavior at the Lord's Supper seem to me to be very insightful. He says in 1 Corinthians chapter 11 to them, rather sarcastically I think, No doubt there have to be differences among you to show which of you has God's approval. The context there was that while they were meeting together, some were eating loads and getting drunk while others had nothing to eat and were being ignored. And there was a very crude expression of the differing sense of value that people had of each other, even within the life of the church. Which I think is sadly all too true in the 21st century church, just as in the 1st century church. It may not be demonstrated in people getting drunk and eating too much and others having nothing but it is demonstrated all the same. Paul's comments earlier in Corinthians, in 1 Corinthians 4 and 7, illustrate his rejection of distinctions within the life of the church and his belief that we should put into practice the equality that is ours in Jesus Christ. He says, For who makes you different from anyone else? What do you have that you did not receive? And if you did receive it, why do you boast as if you did not. In other words, any standing you have in Christ is given to you out of God's grace. If you really did receive God's grace, then boasting and lording it over other believers would seem to suggest actually that you never received God's grace in the first place. So Corinth was a whole hotbed of dispute, differences and division and the Apostle Paul addresses them very directly. This happened in church life. James addresses the same kinds of issues in James chapter 2 where people were making a distinction mainly on the basis of wealth so that if someone really wealthy and rich came into their midst they went overboard with them and they brought them up to the front and they gave them the best seat and they made the poor people go to the back out of the way and James challenges that very aggressively and says that this is just not acceptable. Now the situation with Philemon seems quite different in that Philemon comes across in this letter as essentially a decent individual and very committed to the welfare of other Christians. That's very clear from the introduction where Paul talks about knowing about his faith in Christ and his love for all the saints. 
But nevertheless, Philemon has been used to living with difference and differentiation in his own household between master and servant, and now master and runaway servant. And Paul is saying that difference has to be put aside in his acceptance of Philemon. In theory, it shouldn't be a problem, but it often is in reality. In theory, fellowship within the life of the church, irrespective of who we are or where we come from, shouldn't be a problem, but in reality, it often is. I received an email from an individual currently living and working in another EU country, but who would appear to be thinking of coming this direction. And the email was interesting. We get quite a lot of emails about different things, including one from an Australian guy who was looking to visit here uh, on a Sunday evening in September and looking to bed for the night, and you'll meet him in September. seems quite an interesting character. But this email was interesting because there was no request for accommodation, no request for money, or for useful contacts, or a letter of invitation, as very often happens. Essentially, the email asked about acceptance of outsiders in church life, given that the writer was black, and it would appear has not always found acceptance in churches he's attended. I think it's true to say that most people will be given a welcome in churches, whether we allow Susan to do it on our behalf, as happens in most churches when the church secretary gets up to make the announcements. But a welcome is not the same thing as acceptance. And Philemon is not being asked to welcome Onesimus home. He's been asked to accept him home on the same terms that Philemon would have accepted Paul himself. There's probably a good challenge and a good lesson for us as Christians and churches here. I think the acid test of just how thoroughly we understand the significance of fellowship in Christ, as Paul says in Corinthians, you know, what do you have that you didn't get given to you out of the grace of God? It's not how well we get on together on the surface, but how open we are to accepting, not just saying a word of welcome to, strangers. If Paul were to walk in here some Sunday morning, I don't know what your image of him is. Mine's been a bit tarnished by the stereotypical commentaries that are written, on, written about him. You know, a small man with a hooked nose um, and staring eyes, uh, maybe with a bit of a stutter, who's very strong opinions. How would we relate to him? He certainly would look different. The challenge to Philemon to accept back Onesimus on the basis of his partnership with Paul as a fellow believer is a challenge to us. If we would consider Paul a partner, someone with whom we would happily have fellowship, then we should welcome our brothers and sisters in Christ as we would welcome him. And we should seek to accept one another as Christ has accepted us. That's the thing that strikes me about that little phrase, if you consider me a partner. It's loaded. The second phrase that really strikes me is that phrase in Philemon 18. Charge it to me. The beauty of this phrase is that it's pure theology in action. The phrase charge it is a phrase embedded deep in my mind and my psyche. We had an account with the co 
when I was growing up. And I often did the messages for my mother with my little trolley pulled behind me. And as you reached the checkout and packed your little trolley, the question that the lady on the checkout would always say is, pay or charge? To which I would always say, charge 138860, which was our divvy number. Paul is saying, if there's anything outstanding, charge it to me. Put it on my account. I said at the very beginning of this series that I thought there were significant overlaps, not just in terms of the people, but also the teaching between what Paul says in Colossians and the issues that Philemon has to deal with. And I think this is possibly the clearest illustration. Paul is saying that Philemon can charge up to him whatever Onesimus owes Philemon and that he, Paul, will pay it back if necessary. It's quite likely that the outcome will be that Philemon will discharge any debt that Onesimus owes. And I think Paul expects that, not least in the way in which he says that he is confident, verse 21, of Philemon's obedience, knowing that he will do even more than he asks. But I think Paul is absolutely serious here. And I think if Philemon had a difficulty with this, Paul would do this. He would pay back whatever Onesimus owed. However, the fact that Paul uses this phrase isn't insignificant. Let's look at some of the things he has to say in Colossians. If you just go back a few pages in your Bible to Paul's letter to the Colossians, which you'll find on page 1182, if you're using the copies of the Bible in the pew. Look at what Paul is saying um, to the Colossian believers. And Philemon may well have been there when this letter was read out. He's saying to them in verse 19 of chapter 1, For God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him, that is in Christ, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether things on earth or things in heaven, by making peace through his blood shed on the cross. Once you were alienated from God and were enemies in your minds because of your evil behavior, but now he has reconciled you by Christ's physical body through death to present you holy in his sight without blemish and free from accusation. If you continue in your faith, established and firm, not moved from the hope held out in the gospel, this is the gospel that you heard and that has been proclaimed to every creature under heaven and of which I, Paul, have become a servant. So the whole theme of reconciliation in Christ because of the work of Christ with God, and then ultimately, and you'll see the working out of that in Colossians chapter 3, is a very important theme for the Apostle Paul. But it's more than that that Paul has to say on this issue. If you turn over to chapter 2 and verses 13 and 15, he reminds the Colossians that when you were dead in your sins and in the uncircumcision of your sinful nature, God made you alive with Christ. He forgave all our sins, having cancelled the written code with its regulations that was against us and that stood opposed to us. He took it away, nailing it to the cross. And having disarmed the powers and authorities, he made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them by the cross. Now the context there is slightly different, but the application would not be missed on Philemon in this situation. God forgave. God cancelled the written code that condemned us. God charged it all to Christ. What was owed by us was paid by Christ. 
Everything was charged to his account, as it were. And Paul says this is the core of the gospel. This is the significance of the death and the resurrection of Jesus Christ for us. And he applies the core of the gospel in his appeal to Philemon. Because Paul offers to do the Christ-like thing and have Onesimus' debt charged to him. And by offering to do that, he's challenging Philemon to do the Christ-like thing and to cancel that debt and to forgive. As Philemon would hear the gospel expounded in Colossians, in this letter that Paul writes, in the fellowship of the church, he would have the opportunity and the challenge to work it out in his relationship with Onesimus. Being Christ-like and doing the Christ-like thing can be as basic an issue as Philemon accepting Onesimus and discharging the debt that Onesimus owes. Accepting within the fellowship of the church is the work of the gospel. Forgiving and cancelling within the fellowship of the church is also the work of the gospel. The work of the gospel is not just preaching the details and the facts about Jesus Christ. It's also seeking to apply them in our own lives. And I think that's why Paul uses this phrase, charge it to me. He's willing to practically demonstrate the reality of what Christ has done and at the same time challenge Philemon to do the same thing. As we come to the conclusion of reflections on this letter, and as you look over the letter, there's a very interesting flow of thought in regard to the relationships that exist and the options that are open to Philemon. Standing back and looking at the whole of the letter, Paul says, Onesimus owes something to Philemon. That's clear. At the very least, an explanation, but almost certainly a great deal more. And yet, Onesimus has rendered a service for Paul and for Philemon. Onesimus has already been useful to Philemon in that he has provided the care for Paul that Philemon would have wanted to provide. Philemon is, in a sense, says Paul, in the debt of Onesimus. Because Philemon shares fellowship with Christ and his church as a matter of grace, then there's the obligation and the opportunity to accept Onesimus back as a brother in the Lord, one of equal standing in grace in Christ. And Paul's willing to be Christ-like to encourage Philemon to be Christ-like in forgiving and accepting Onesimus. And ironically, as Paul says, Philemon, if we're going to talk about debts, owes his very salvation to Paul and the ministry that God had given him. It's a very interesting network, very interesting weaving of relationships and the way in which they all basically cancel themselves out. So that within the life of the church, in this particular instance, There's no room for distinction and there's no room for division. There's no room for setting a different bar of acceptance on people, either because of their trade, their profession, their education, their color, their background, or whatever. Every way you turn in this letter, the matrix and web of relationships indicates just how deeply interconnected the understanding of who we are as Christians is tied up with the death of Christ, the grace of God, And our total equality before God is reconciled by his grace and mercy. And I think Paul's comment, charge it to me, is a mine of profound spiritual truth and practical fellowship. 
There's a very human touch to the conclusion of the letter. Verse 22, which we looked at. Prepare a guest room for me, because I hope to be restored to you in answer to your prayers. And verse 25, the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. That's how Paul prays for Philemon. It's not an uncommon conclusion of a letter for Paul. He uses it in Galatians and Philippians and 2 Timothy. And it's an expression of a simple desire that the grace that transformed Philemon's life in the first place may continue to be at work in him for his good and for God's glory. And my prayer is that it may be so also for us to the glory of God.